Welcome back to Match Volume with Elle and Ella. We're your hosts, Ella Katz and Elle Davidson. So Elle, here in California, anyone over the age of 50 can get the vaccine starting April 1st and then starting April 15th, any adult, that's anyone over the age of 16, I believe, can get the vaccine, but not everyone wants it. Yeah, and it can be hard for some of us to understand, but I feel like especially different marginalized groups in America, especially black Americans, sort of have a reason to not trust um, the government or the medical system when it comes to vaccinations. So it can sometimes be a sticky argument, you know? Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about who's joining us on the pod today? Yeah, so this week, um, one of our colleagues, Ike Allen, interviewed Richard Carpiano. Richard Carpiano is a professor of public policy and sociology at UC Riverside, and he's also an expert in vaccine hesitancy. So um, it's great that we got him on the pod. It's very timely because, like you said, vaccinations are becoming more and more available and we all want the pandemic to end and it feels like the only way to do that is to get the vaccine here's Here's richard Richard carpiano i think a lot of us assumed at least i assumed before the vaccines for covid19 kind of became available that the anti-vaccine movement might be a little bit weakened by the pandemic, that people might be more generally enthusiastic about the vaccine, and that might result in that. Why do you think that didn't really happen? And and how have the anti-vaxxers adapted to this sort of unique case with the vaccine? Yeah, really kind of what, we, what we've seen is that the COVID uh, pandemic has really given the anti-vaccine movement sort of a new lease on life. What this has really kind of shown is the fact that, um, you know, the, the anti-vaccine movement always had a bit of a, uh, of an anti-public, a, a broader anti-public health um, belief system, I guess you could kind of say. And so really COVID has given the opportunity to really kind of fly fly that flag in, in, in essence. Uh, we've seen them in recent years kind of moving much more away from pushing kind of the science side of things. Uh, so the things like related to uh, uh, vaccines have toxins in them or they have, uh, you know, really, uh, or, uh, you know, might cause autism, uh, you know, and, and all these other sorts of, of bad outcomes and trying to really push bad science as their arguments for uh, um, you know, and so really trying to argue this on like a sci- on a scientific basis, and instead they moved much more into this uh, position about values, uh, what they would call what they often term you often see as health freedom or medical freedom, and this idea that vaccines uh, and having rules around them really undermine one's autonomy as an individual, kind of very libertarian. Uh, I call them libertarian-ish because uh, they don't really fit, fully fit a, a libertarian kind of viewpoint. Uh, but really, this idea of, of I, I should be able to do whatever I want. The government it, really, very much at the heart of this is sort of this issue about government overreach and government kind of telling people what they should do. So we start to see this movement towards these this value system, and the values um, you know become a much more difficult thing to challenge them uh, challenge them on in a sense. Uh, they play to a broader audience. Uh, you know, it's not as easy to just say, well, you know, you've got your one sort of really 
for you know lousy, poorly done study uh, that you that you're citing or you're cherry picking findings, we have this whole bulk of of good science evidence to show that you know uh, that the MMR is, vaccine is not associated with autism, for example. And so when you start to talk about values, you know it starts to get much more sort of uh, uh, much much difficult, more difficult. You know it, it elevates the position in a sense. And in that respect, it also gains you uh, it can gain you sympathy with other uh, other types of groups too. And so you can almost people could almost push aside sort of the significance of the of say sort of the science of it, and it could just be again about these sorts of freedoms, these right to choose, and you start to even see this in news coverage in the sense that now you've got because it's sort of like uh, it's it's politics and it's being covered at, at like for at, by state house sort of uh, reporters and journalists not not picking on them, you know what did what is the, what did the Democrats say about this? What do the Republicans say about that? Uh, or or particular sorts of personalities, and now we start to see coverage of where it's like a leader of an anti-vaccine group uh, versus maybe the sponsor of a bill. So now you can kind of see where, you know, it, the, the position sort of gets elevated to perspectives. And you could see maybe like the big bad politician that put to, uh, put up a bill that is uh, impinging upon rights. You might even see certain politicians go on the record of saying things like, I vaccinate my children and I think it's important. But, you know, with a big, a big but, you know, and saying something around freedom or things like that, that might either explicitly or, uh, you know, reach out to and sympathize with with the anti-vaccine movement or might um, dog whistle to them. As uh, sometimes we see this, um, I mean, a good example, of this might be Rand Paul, for example, who, who, who kind of uses these, kind, who use these kinds of tactics. You know, they say what a crisis is, uh, is an, uh, the, 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 the old saying, what is another word for opportunity? And in this case, that was very much the situation with uh, with the anti-vaccine movement. Uh, and public health is a public function. It's run by the state. And so by that extension, you know, anything that sort of public health does is really kind of viewed as by them as sort of government, you know, um, as a government action and potentially government overreach. And so really along the way, um, this has enabled them to very nicely and easily move into um, these other sorts of, of disinformation campaigns around public health. And and at the same time, gaining a lot of allies uh, with other groups that are more broadly or, or maybe specifically, but just in an, uh, on another sort of issue, uh, very anti-government. To, to sort of um, summarize a little bit, it seems like what it is partly is because of the, the high sort of visibility of public health measures in this time of crisis, that's allowed this movement to sort of coalesce around like all anti-government movements because we've seen so many people reacting to public health measures, which have been, which are obviously more visible than they ever have been before, or at least in most people's lifetimes. Absolutely. You nailed it. You bet. And so, um, you know, so in a way you, you could see about maybe there was, might've been more of a, a bit of more of a sympathetic audience to some of their, uh, to, uh, there, there was a, there's a market basically for them to tap into. Uh, we start to see very heavily, polit uh, lots of politicization around, uh, around different, uh, um, so, which, which shouldn't be, which were very, you know, science-based sorts of, uh, measures. And so over the course of the, of the pandemic, we've seen 
uh, anti-vaccine movement and and their allies, uh, you know, really coming out against basically everything. So lockdowns, uh, masks, uh, the overall risk of COVID to begin with, more fundamentally, you know, that it's sort of just the flu or, you know, most people survive this anyway. What's the big deal? I guess one of the, the, the event that really became the big thing that got on the public's conscience about uh, sort of pushback was when there was the Michigan, uh, the first sort of Michigan lockdown protests that occurred. I think it was more like a car kind of rally around the Michigan Capitol. And we started to see those start to emerge in other places. And in California, there was an in-person one at the state house. There were, there were multiple of them that then occurred over the next few months. And at these events were not, I mean, even though the anti-vaccine movement, particularly one, one group uh, called group called the Freedom Angels, even though they were involved with organizing it, the speakers um, who were there uh, and who showed up sort of on the on the speaker stage just outside the Capitol were not all anti or you know anti vaccine was just a, a, a fraction of them it was really this the, the freedom angels the rest of them were very much like just anti government types of groups we saw even at one of these events what they were bragging was the keynote speaker was a person who uh, is uh, identified with the southern po- by the southern poverty law center sort of makes a national speaking circuit talk who's kind of more definitely much more you know, identified in sort of this extremist end but we also saw local elected officials appear like people at the county level, uh, we saw can- um, uh, candidates for office appearing. They were all GOP, or or definitely they were not. Uh, or if anything else, you know, maybe if they were un- un- unaffiliated, um, I, I, sh- I should be careful in, in saying everything about. It. But definitely, some you know, the overwhelming majority would, would have been uh, a Republican. And so this, to me, was the thing that was really the 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 shocking kind of kind of moment of really seeing how this like of this latest evolution of the. Uh, uh, of the anti-vaccine movement in like, you know, in full form that, you know, now they've got these kind of new allies, they've got this kind of broader issues. And then over the next few months, we start to see them moving into other things. They all hate Gavin Newsom. He is like sort of this embodiment of everything that they hate about government and government overreach and kind of use him as a way to their audience to kind of, uh, you know, really kind of play play these things up. So it seems like what we've seen is that the recall Newsom effort has done a similar thing to what you're describing, which is that it's united people who aren't necessarily coming from the far right with people who with a leadership who is pretty overwhelmingly right wing. And um, that's sort of allowed them to get more signatures, for example, on that petition than they would have if it was just clearly right wing. So it's sort of like um, the right seems to have used this pandemic um, in multiple ways to sort of like gain some sort of political footing for some of the issues that they have been caring about for a long time. Does that seem true to you? Oh, absolutely. So you can think about the pandemic causing things. You can think about disinformation that's just been out there or the mix, kind of, you know, just this really polluted information ecosystem that's also sort of created uh, uh, this sort of uh, uh, potential market. Uh, we see the Freedom Angels. We're also making uh, inroads with uh, sort of like small business owners who might be affected. You know, and these are people that may or may not have any sort of real stand- viewpoint on vaccines. You know, could very well be you know, they line up for their flu shot and think that they're aborted. Uh, but hey, you know, they're also uh, uh, you know might, might think, hey, this group you know is active, you know, is is taking on a cause that I that's of concern to me too about businesses being shut down and I've been affected by this. Um, but we also see too, uh, you know, kind of a broader, even broader. 
with this is, you know, at these rallies, you see things like Trump flags and, um, you know, that really, really highlight how also, you know, the anti-vaccine movements move very much uh, to the right, even though we, you know, there's still people on the left that are kind of part of it. You know, and you think about the Bill, Bill Mars and, you know, and the, and, uh, the Jessica Beals and like the, those sorts of people. But you don't see those people kind of showing up at these sorts of events or undertaking those kinds of efforts. There was an event that was hosted, uh, I believe it was the day before the Capitol riots that was being advertised. Among the speakers on the list were some people known in the uh, well known in, in anti vaccine circles in California. So the Freedom Angels, the uh, uh, Lee Dundas, she's a, an attorney who's moved into kind of a broader uh, um, anti COVID, anti government sort of stuff. They all appeared, they were appearing in DC. They show up on stage. Um, in that speech, they use very militant type um, language. We're boots on the ground. We're this. They state that public health is public enemy number one, rallying up the crowd and using a very strong kind of language and even advertise their site as a means to for people to learn uh, different sorts of protest tactics and for women, how to they will teach them things around firearms and to defend their defend their property. So kind of like a very libertarian kind of ish thing, living off how to live off the grid, either at that video or at another for a seminar they were advertising, ever, uh, really pushing how they're, they're buddies with militia groups. And they've learned certain sorts of tactics on how to block what they call the alphabet agencies from coming to like your business and stuff like that. So I guess, you know, state or federal type agencies that might be serving uh, different sorts of orders or, or, or injunctions or other, other sorts, sorts of things, how to block them, uh, how to use sort of other tactics. And so we've seen them now showing up at things like school boards. We see them showing up outside public health officers' uh, houses, um, arguing that they're doing it peacefully. I mean, in certain cases, some of the videos that the Freedom Angels have put up, they're there with kids. But the fact that they're there and using these kinds of intimidation methods, the fact that we've seen public health officers, you know, really uh, get harassed. Definitely a climate of sort of fear for, for, for that's being created by some of these people. Um, so I, I, I wanted to ask about the other day, you know, um, Dodger Stadium's vaccination site was blocked, um, as I'm sure you know, by, by, by a number of protesters. Did, did you think, did we see, um, do you know if we saw members of some of these groups or people connected to some of these groups there? Um, I know it wasn't a huge number of people, but they were able to close down the site uh, or, or delay vaccinations uh, for, for a couple of hours. Well, I don't recognize the faces. It was hardening at least to know that, you know, there's only like, there was like 30 to 50 of them that showed up. Um, I mean, but we need to be aware of them. We need to, uh, you know, as I always say, you know, you, you can laugh at these people and their signs and, you know, and their, and their, uh, and their statements, you can blow them off maybe as being uneducated or, or, or I hear, I get all sorts of reactions. I tell people I study this stuff. They'll see, you know, oh, those people are nuts. They're crazy. They're kooks. Um, whatever your opinion might be of them. But I do not uh, for a minute uh, uh, blow them off as, you know, they are, um, they're serious. They have, uh, they do show up to these things. They are organized. And in many cases, they're effective in the things that they do. Uh, in this case, you know, that managed to uh, 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 upset a, you know, the, uh, a uh, you know, vaccine line during a pandemic for a half hour. Or you've got the, uh, or they show up at state houses, you know, and they just kind of uh, complicate. Even if the vote ultimately passes and they don't win, uh, you know, they've kind of slowed up government. 
Uh, they've created fear. You know, we start to see now this, you know, definitely around public health officers. Senator Pan had tried to put in a, a bill recently. Uh, I, I don't think it was successful, but I'm not quite sure if it ever went to a vote where he was trying to protect uh, the identities of public health officers through DMV records, similar to, I think, what gets done with judges. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, you know, clearly this is a, um, you know, they've, they've changed the, uh, they've changed our ecosystem. Yeah. And that, that kind of leads me into something I wanted to ask you about, which is from a policy perspective, you know, taking these people seriously is important, like you're describing it. And I wonder, you know, I think there's always ways that are proposed that I hear about a lot to, to sort of raise awareness about vaccine safety for people who might be just hesitant or unsure about vaccines. But with people who have elaborate conspiracy theories or strongly held personal beliefs that are, that are pretty much founded on misinformation or disinformation about vaccines, what, what, from a policy perspective, what, what, how can that be, how can you fight that? I mean, what, what are the ways that you can try to provide an, a, a, a different narrative to that um, for people who, for, for the people who might be listening, who sort of are unsure and who don't have those strongly held beliefs? Yeah, no, and I think you bring up a very important point. So when we talk about anti-vaxxers, um, I think unfortunately that term, you know, it's a, that sort of shorthand uh, has been, uh, you know, gets applied too broadly. When we think about, um, uh, and we don't want to, you know, vaccine hesitancy is a, is a much better term to provoke when we think about sort of the phenomenon itself. And the vast majority of people who are vaccine hesitant are these people who are who have legitimate sorts of questions and concerns. I totally get it. And, and we should be, um, you know, we should be taking those seriously. They're people who go online, you know, and they're going to see things that might be uh, uh, disinformation pushed out, um, you know, and they're reading that. Or, um, or they just might have concerns, you know, like the one that I heard, you know, that's, I think, very legitimate. Wow, this, you know, this vaccine seems a bit rushed. Is it safe? You know, and uh, or, you know, or, or things around their children, you know, their parents, uh, you know, and they're concerned about vaccines, vaccines for their kids. Are they, are they safe or whatever? They're, that's what any parent should be doing. So, you know, I think that stuff's very important. And so we don't want to label them with the same brush of the very small but very vocal minority of people that are you know, where vaccines are really this kind of uh, core bread and butter issue. It's part of their ideology. It's, uh, you know, and, and, a, and a basis for their political uh, types, types of actions uh, that we would really call the, you know, sort of the anti-vax movement or the people that try to peddle uh, different sorts of misinformation or disinformation uh, around vaccines. You know, we need to be thinking, of course, about safety and security at these types of uh, types of events. There's no reason why protesters should be able to get sort of close enough where they can sort of disrupt these these sorts of uh, events. So there's sort of a more more kind of the on the ground kind of kind of things. Deplatforming certainly uh, is important, uh, you know, as we've kind of seen with other other elements uh, in terms of trying to stop this kind of spread of disinformation by these kinds of, of bad faith actors. Um, that we need to be thinking about that. And I think we do need to be thinking about uh, um, uh, online, uh, uh, different sorts of online legislation and regulation of, of sort of the, uh, the uh, kind of the social media industry, I guess you could kind of say, um, and the recognition of the fact that, uh, you know, there th things like, uh, I mean, okay, so people might be worried about sort of regulation of speech and things like that, but we, we, it doesn't have to even go to that. You know, we can think about maybe, you know, uh, thinking around, uh, not leaving it to companies to sort of decide 
uh, on their own and sort of policing their own, which which we see is gets lots of variability. Uh, and uh, you know, particularly when you think you know, Facebook has certainly come under a lot of criticism for this. But even things like are related to the different types of algorithms that get used and what people get sort of exposed to after you know after clicking on a link or two, and so kind of getting that repeated those repeated types of similar messages. Uh, and how that can sort of, uh, um, in many ways, you know, encapsulate people in certain ways and not expose them to outside, uh, you know, outside sorts of perspectives or, or counter perspectives on things. Um, I see this after I just click a couple things, you know, looking into this on YouTube. I get these things where I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, no, this is clearly, you know. If somebody were to profile me, this would not be an ad I would normally get. It doesn't even have to be thinking about this as government, too. I mean, I think another way to do this is I think there needs to be some very heavy coordination between government, particularly public health agencies and um, and these private companies in regards to thinking about the best strategies going forward. Um, I think public health needs to get its act together. Um, that's going to sound like I'm blaming public health. I, I'm, I'm not. But um, in the idea of thinking about, you know, in terms of the 21st century uh, public health education, public health messaging, it's a whole new game out there. And I think public health has been very slow to uh, adapt to that and think through about like sort of the most effective ways to be doing online uh, messaging, even getting ahead of the game in certain cases, sort of trying to what they call pre-bunking uh, sort of uh, disinformation. Public health is all about prevention. And so, I, you know, the same sort of approach should be taken to messaging on all sorts of public health issues uh, that, that might exist out there. Uh, and also public health is severely underfunded. So where does the money come from this? And so really, this is where the federal government, you know, if we really, if the Biden administration really believes in science, uh, you know, and uh, and the importance of it, uh, and uh, then you know, this is one of the areas where it's going to have to try to really take some big steps. Uh, also, in terms of repairing the reputation of the CDC, which I think was very heavily tarnished uh, uh, during this as well, and then in terms of just the uh, the COVID vaccine rollout. You know, we saw Operation Warp Speed, there was unfortunately very little emphasis on any sort of public education or public outreach about the vaccine. Uh, and now that's going to need to be done. And it should have been done way earlier. Uh, but you know, at least I'm hardened to see that there was uh, emphasis within the Biden administration plan to uh, to have that kind of, uh, of rollout, because it, it, that's not just going to be... Um, sort of broad campaigns, but we're also going to have to think about campaigns for specific subpopulations. Uh, you know, the, the, the African-American community, for example, you know, there's very uh, um, understandable reasons why uh, you would, why there would be vaccine hesitancy given, you know, sort of a, a, other horrible historic things that have kind of occurred or past experiences with medical care. And so, you know, needing to be sort of much more sort of uh, uh, subpopulation sort of specific types of campaigns, local community kinds of campaigns and things, things of that nature to try to uh, overcome this. Because it's not just it's not just going to be things that the uh, that the anti-vaxxers, uh, you know, sort of have, have propagated. Right. Yeah. No, I can imagine that this is something that I mean, we need to be keeping an eye out and maybe we're not doing it sufficiently yet. Well, thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. And uh, this has been really interesting. Anytime, Mike. Anytime. Yeah. Just give, give me a ring. That's it for this week's episode. Tune in every Friday for new episodes of Match Volume and make sure to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Media.
This show is a production of Annenberg Media and is co-produced and co-hosted by me, Elle Davidson, and Ella Katz. For Annenberg Media at the University of Southern California, I'm Elle Davidson. And I'm Ella Katz. See you next week.